This is The Rounds Table. Welcome back, Rounds Table listeners. This week we have two randomized trials about screening. Yes, screening. I don't think we've had an episode like this before. All right, John, what trial do you have up first? Uh, So first, we're going to talk about the five-year outcomes of the Danish Cardiovascular Screening Trial, or Donkovos, by Lindholt et al., published New England Journal, October 13th, 2022. Nice. You made that sound very Danish, John. I like it. Yeah, was that authentic? I think it was, right? I think so. we'll, We'll see what our eight listeners in Denmark think. But anyway, um, what was the research question here? The question here was, does cardiovascular screening lead to fewer future deaths and cardiovascular events? All right. And why was this important? Well, it's cardiovascular disease. Of course, it's like the leading cause of death and a lot of it is preventable. You know, I'm sure everyone's heard this analogy in med school of, you know, our patients have been drowning in the bottom of the river and, you know, we're pulling them out and trying our best to help people. But what if we could stop them from jumping in the river in the first place, you know, trying to get on top of things to prevent future illness? You know, in theory, if we could identify those patients that are at high risk, maybe prevention could help. But so far, we're lacking evidence uh, for any kind of population-based screening when it comes to cardiovascular disease. Agreed. This was a tall order. What was the study design? So this was a multi-center randomized control trial uh, using patients from 15 municipalities across Denmark. Specifically, they were all men aged 65 to 74. They used a national registry to identify patients, and then they were then randomized to screening or not screening. Now, the screening program itself involved a number of different things, including an ECG-gated CT to detect coronary artery calcium scores, as well as ABIs and blood pressure measurements, as well as screening lab work for things like type 2 diabetes. Patients were randomized one to two. And then for the outcomes, the primary outcome was death from any cause assessed at three, five, and 10 years of follow-up. And the current report is on the five-year outcomes. And then they had a number of subgroup analyses as well. All right. And what did the patients look like? Well, there were a lot of them. So 46,000 men were randomized. The final population included 29,790 in the control group and 16,736 in the invited to screen arm. Now, of those that were invited to screen, only about 63% actually underwent screening, which was around 10,400 patients. The mean age was 69. About 25% of patients had no education beyond primary school. About 25% were still actively working. And there were similar rates of underlying disease burden across the two groups. All right. And what did they find? So at five and a half years, 12.6% in the invited group compared with 13.1% in the control group died. The cumulative incidence of death was really the same between the two groups if you got screened or not, and that was 10.6% versus 10.9%. They did a whole bunch of secondary analyses, and one of them suggested perhaps a lower risk of stroke in those that were invited to screen. They did also show that there was a slightly higher rate of bleeding complications in the patients that were screened. And, and, you know, that was because they were more likely to be prescribed antiplatelet medications. Whoops. Oh, gosh, this looks really depressing. Okay, before I go down, uh, what were the main limitations? 
Yeah, there are, you know, a few things to think about. So one is that it was only men, like no women were included. Uh, this was done intentionally and it was because pilot data had suggested that there was going to be a much lower prevalence of clinically significant findings if they included women for screening. Um, you know, you also wonder too, like, should they have started screening at a younger age to maybe try to prevent disease earlier on? And maybe might that have made a difference? And the focus here was on being invited to screen and not on the actual effects of the screening itself. And this was because of concerns for selection bias and those who then chose to actually undergo screening, as well as to recognize that, you know, there is a high risk profile for those who are non-adherent to anything. Yeah, I, I hear you. And, you know, in one of their many subgroup analyses, it appeared like individuals under the age of 70, you know, there might be a benefit in that one single subgroup. Um, but, you know, you got to be really careful looking too closely at subgroups. I also find it really surprising that they only included men. I'm, yeah, I guess I'm just surprised, full stop at that. Uh, you got another 50% of the population there. Um, but maybe that's for another trial. I'm obviously not sure. Yeah, you know what? And I think they are doing a screening study in women as well, but it was definitely surprising to see. Okay, all right, gotcha. Um, so what was the take-home point here? Well, the take-home here was that being invited to screen for cardiovascular disease did not result in significant reductions in death. Mm. Yeah, and like I can't get a sense of maybe it's just that people in Denmark are already so freaking healthy and they have such an amazing healthcare system and public health uh, infrastructure. They just can't get any better. I, I don't know. Was this practice changing for you? No, you know, I guess it's just we still don't have evidence to screen and try to prevent this. Well, I mean, I think the evidence to prevent is still there. But the screening thing, the screening question, we still don't have evidence to support it. Yeah, I agree. But even like, you know, one step further, though, you know, they did ECG gated CT to detect a coronary artery calcium score. They did blood pressure measurements. They screened for diabetes like all of these things didn't appear to have a big outcome. This is ooh, pretty underwhelming and disappointing. It really is. And I mean, I'm sure that the data is different in different subgroups, but like we do this in other patient populations, like in, in the newly diagnosed hypertensive, how often do we think about considering, you know, we'll send off an A1C, we'll do other tests, you know? And so it just makes you wonder, it makes you realize like how much evidence do we have for the things that we do? Yeah, I completely agree. You know, it'll be interesting to see how things pan out at the 10-year mark, but I doubt it'll be all that different. All yeah, right. Big, well, big bummer. Yeah, big bummers, right. Um, okay, and that actually works for a segue. The next trial is <laughs> Effective Colonoscopy Screening for Risk of Colorectal Cancer and Related Death, published in the New England Journal of Medicine in October 2022. All right. So what was the research question here? Does a colon cancer screening program involving invitation to receive colonoscopy for standard of care reduce the risk of colorectal cancer and related death? Oh, I saw a lot about this on Twitter after the fact, but I, you know, I want to hear it from you. So, you know, how'd they do this study? What was, uh, why was this interesting to you? Yeah, it's a great question. I think why it was interesting is, you know, colon cancer is common it can be deadly. And the primary screening method, at least in North America, is colonoscopy. And I was surprised to realize that that is 
based on really bad evidence, you know, minimal in terms of RCTs. And it should be noted that there are randomized trial-level data to support Flexig, but not colonoscopy. So this certainly caught my eye, especially from all the waves it made on Twitter. Jeez, I did not know that there was no evidence. Okay, so how'd they do this study? So it was an unblinded, pragmatic, randomized trial, and participants were identified directly from the population registries. Who did they include? Healthy men and women aged 55 to 64 in Poland, Norway, Sweden, and the Netherlands between 2009 and 2014 who had not previously undergone screening. The main exclusion was a diagnosis of colorectal cancer before trial entry. The intervention was that they were invited to undergo a screening colonoscopy, and the comparator was no invitation to screen, usual care, randomized in a 1 to 2 ratio, just like the study you talked about before. The outcome here was risk of colorectal cancer and related death, secondary cause uh, or secondary uh, outcome, pardon me, of all cause mortality. And the statistics here were good old fashioned intention to treat. Okay, so what was table one? Who was included? So 95,000 participants were randomized. That is incredible. The final number was closer to 85,000 patients, uh, and that's because of new laws in the Netherlands uh, that required uh, patients' data to not be included. Um, so as mentioned, 85,000 patients, um, 12,000. So only 42% of those invited to receive a colonoscopy actually went on to get it. Um, half of the patients were men and half were between 60 to 65, the other half 55 to 59. Uh, 91% had very good bowel prep um, and 97% of the colonoscopies, uh, the cecum was intubated, which um, means, yep, you got to the end, okay? Uh, and adenoma detection, which is important to report, uh, was around 30%. Okay, so what did they find? Was there a benefit? Yeah, I think it depends who you ask. So the median follow-up was 10 years, which again is incredible. Um, the risk of colorectal cancer at 10 years was 1% versus 1.2%. So that translated into a relative risk reduction of 18% or so, and a number needed to screen of 455. So that meant, you know, 455 invitations um, to receive screening uh, colonoscopy to prevent one colorectal cancer. Uh, the risk of death between the two groups was 0.28% in the screening versus 0.31% in those who didn't screen. So that's a relative risk reduction of 10%, but with wide confidence intervals, which includes includes the possibility of a null effect. I'll also note that um, there were no perforations or scope-related um, deaths, but there were 15 major bleeding episodes. Ah, okay, so... Well, I guess first, you know, what were some of the limitations here? What we do realize is that there was a low uptake of colonoscopy in the group that was randomized to it. Um, that's very understandable. And those sort of rates of saying, sure, I'll show up for this colonoscopy of 40 some odd percent, that's similar to what we see in the literature um, of other studies that have evaluated that kind of conversion rate of opening the envelope to then saying, 
yeah, I think I would like to drink four liters of bowel prep and spend 12 hours on the toilet uh, and then have a tube uh, with a camera on the end stuck up my butt um, and receive sedation. Okay, so that's a big limitation because what if the uptake was 90%? Then maybe we would see much better reductions in not only the detection of colorectal cancer, but also all-cause mortality. I think another limitation here is that the comparator was usual care. This was purposeful, okay? They selected those countries in a very important way and for an important reason. And that's because those countries really didn't have a screening program already in place, right? You couldn't have done that uh, randomized trial in Canada or the US, for example. I also think the way I sort of look at this trial, you know, I think of it less as a trial that looked specifically at, you know, the benefits and harms of colonoscopy. Instead, I think it looks at the harms and benefits of a public health intervention, which is sending letters out um, and inviting people to receive a colonoscopy. Yeah, interesting. And can you just remind the listeners, but like in the modern era, could like that have included emails and stuff too? Or is it really just like a good old fashioned letter that was sent in the mail? That is a good question. And I don't know the answer to it. I think it was buried somewhere in the appendix. But let's say, sure, it could have been an email or a message on Facebook, let's say. But, you know, I, I guess like, yeah, like the take home point is that the sort of 40%, that wasn't surprising. That was similar to prior literature. And these investigators knew it and they powered their study accordingly. All right. So, you know, you turn of age, are you going to get a screening colonoscopy? See, I don't actually think that this study specifically answers that question, right? I think it really answers the question of the public health strategy. So like if I was somehow in charge of the government and I had to make a decision, is this going to be a really good way to spend our money as opposed to looking at other conditions? I don't know. That's a tough one. But me personally, would I recommend you know, cancer screening to my patients and my loved ones. Yeah, (laughs) we live in Canada. I'm not a gastroenterologist. I'm going to follow the guidelines. I should also note, John, that one thing that was a really important aspect to learn is that patients should be made aware of the fact that you know, there's really good evidence for a flex sig. We could do that instead. And that means less bowel prep, you know, less time away from work, potentially uh, less complications. And there is another really exciting um, study going on in Sweden where they're actually comparing, I believe it's colorectal cancer screening uh, through colonoscopy versus maybe flex sig versus another arm. So um, I look forward to the results of that study. Oh yeah, that'd be interesting to see. Okay, very good. Yeah, so I think that's it for our episode on screening. All right, on to the good stuff. Uh, John, what caught your eye this week? Uh, Good stuff. We're going to take a trip down memory lane. It's uh, an anniversary for one of Broken Social Scene's greatest albums, You Forgotten People. Like When that album came out, I was actually, I just finished high school. I was working at this insurance company where quite literally I would photocopy for like eight hours a day for the first three weeks. That's all I did. But on my breaks, which you know you get in certain types of professions that you don't get in medicine, I would listen to this album on repeat. So uh, take a look. It's a great read on a, an amazing article. Uh, amazing article on an amazing album rather. 
Yeah, it really was, is an amazing album. I remember I was working at uh, Video Flicks when that one nice. came out. Yeah, <laughs> a, real, a real big throwback and uh, love that album. Probably listen to it after this. Um, so uh, good stuff on my end. Um, we talked a few weeks ago about um, Carly Roselle, emerging artist in Toronto um, with her wild wallflowers. And guess what? There's an upcoming market um, where she will be selling them in Toronto. I will include the specific details on social media uh, when this episode gets released. All right. Christmas presents, everyone. You need a Christmas present? Go check out the market. Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever. Okay. Um, There you go. And John, she actually heard our other episode and I've been informed that there is now a Freilich family discount uh, for for all of her products. Uh, Stop it, Carly. You don't have to do that. (laughs) All right, John, take care. And we'll talk again soon. Talk to you later, Mike. The rounds table is hosted online at healthydebate.ca. Follow us on Twitter at rounds table. Thanks to our audio editors, Emilio Garcia Flores and Arjun Sharma. Also thanks to Amol Verma, founder of The Rounds Table, and Kieran Quinn, the previous director. We'd also like to give a big thanks to Seema Marwaha, editor-in-chief at Healthy Debate, for all the support.